right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're talking plenty of KU football. We got a bunch of KU football audio coming at you throughout the show today. Another uh, KU football superlative segment. Two guests, Kevin Flaherty at 440 from 24-7 Sports. Matt Tate from R1S1Sports.com will join us at 340 here. I also have a top 10 list of top 10 sounds in sports. I'm actually excited for this one. Mm. The so you haven't f- been the, for the other ones? The, well, I have been. The top 10 four list, that was dumb. I disagree. I think that was one of my favorite lists ever. Really? Yeah. Well. I, it was probably my fourth favorite list. Okay. You you need to stop. <laughs> you need to be stopped. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm excited for it. I mean, I'm actually excited for this one. Assuming it's a good list, because sometimes you're just wrong. Wow. Like your lists suck. Okay. All right. Well, high expectations for me. So that's later in the show. RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Uh, we're going to do a series starting today. We'll have one of these today. We'll have another one tomorrow. And the series that we're little doing here is the biggest reason KU football will not hit the win total over. And then tomorrow we'll finish with the biggest reasons why KU football will hit the win total over. You can go on DraftKings right now and you can bet on the KU football over under win total. It is set at six at the moment. They mm. but but it's different odds for both. The over is minus one fifty if you take the six, meaning that wow, so they you would have to be put over. yeah one hundred fifty dollars to win a hundred. So basically, you'd be bringing home two fifty. Um, or $15 to win 10, so you'd bring home 25, right? The under six is plus 125. Mm. So it seems like they're kind of trying to make you take the under, and we know this has been one of the more under bets so far, one of the most of any college football team for the under bets. As of a couple weeks ago, they were the most. I don't know what the updated numbers on that are. Uh, I've, I've said before that that actually makes me feel better because Vegas usually makes a lot of money. And you get to play with a chip on your shoulder, whatever. Uh, but let's start today. Before we get to the biggest reasons why KU football will win the win total over, we'll do that tomorrow. Let's let's be pessimists first. What are, what are some of the biggest reasons that would prevent if KU football does yeah. end up under the win total? If they end up with four or five wins, what do you think would be the reasons why? Or, or let's just take it one at a time. Okay. What's the first one that pops in your mind? The first one that pops in my mind is injuries. You look at last year's team. And if Jalen Daniels is healthy the whole year, maybe you're able to win eight games or seven games last year. So if he if his health is steady for the whole season and he plays and starts all 12 games, you feel pretty good. On the flip side, if he, again, deals with injuries, because I've talked about this, he hasn't played a full season for Kansas since he's become a starter because of injuries. What if that happens again? 
And I know Jason Bean is a very, very quality backup. Maybe the best backup. Well, I think he's definitely the best backup in the Big 12. And then without knowing exactly around the country what, you know, I'm sure there are, I'm sure your Texas and Ohio States and Alabama's of the world have some five-star guy waiting that would probably qualify as a better backup, potentially, or your Georgias or whatever. But Jason Bean's a really good backup. But we know, because we saw it last year, that while Jason Bean at his best is maybe close to the level of Jalen Daniels, he has a lot more valleys. He has a lot more times where he struggles. He has a lot more inconsistencies to his game that we saw last year. So with Jason Bean, you feel less good about KU getting to six wins. Mm-hmm. And then you go beyond the you go beyond that, you go to the running back room. Devin Neal played a lot of games banged up last year. Daniel Hyshaw, we know about his injury. What if that ha- what if those, you know, surface again? What if Devin Neal continues to be banged up? What if De- Daniel Hyshaw uh, you know has to miss some time again? You go to the defense. What if what if a guy like Craig Young goes down? What does that look like? I mean, with how much they ask him to do, with how versatile he is, what what would that do to the defense, you know? Or Kenny Logan, someone like that. There's a lot of possibilities for injuries to possibly hamper this team a little bit. And I think if you set aside Jalen Daniels and look at last year's team, Kansas was pretty healthy last year. They didn't really have any major injuries besides Jalen Daniels and Daniel Hyshaw. Really, those are the only two. You look at the defense, they stayed pretty healthy for the most part, as far as we could tell. I mean, Kobe Bryant, I think, missed what? He missed the second half of the Oklahoma game or missed the chunk of the Oklahoma game and the game after, I think, maybe. But injuries, to me, is the number one reason because we've seen it. We saw it happen last year, especially with Jalen Daniels. If he's unable to play a full season – that would probably put a cap on what you think the ceiling for KU could be. And you could apply the injuries conversation to any team across the country. Yeah, I know. It if feels, any team. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like I think it's it is because very the, prevalent though. How, with yeah, exactly. Because of how fresh it is in the mind, because of the fact that it happened last year, it seems more prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. And when you look at the the injuries that Jalen Daniels has had, and when you look at the injuries that they had in spring ball, that they're down to, you know, walk on running backs at certain points. When you look at over the course of fall camp, they've had a ton of injuries on on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know how many of them are long-term injuries versus more just things that you, know, you kind of have to deal with over the course of a season and you know nobody's really nobody's going to ever by the end of the year be 100% healthy. That just doesn't happen. Even the guys where you're like, "Oh, yeah, they're totally fine." They're probably dealing with some sort of bumps and bruises by the middle of the season, by the end of the season. So yeah, that that certainly is one and and specifically circling Jalen Daniels, your most important player at your most important position. Uh, is the key one there. I think outside of that, the, the next big one that, that would prevent them from hitting the win total over for me would probably be the schedule. Uh, the schedule isn't, like, this isn't one of the, the five or ten hardest schedules in the country, so it's not it's not unbearable, but it's definitely one of the tougher schedules. It's probably one of the top, I, I don't know where they rank in, like, some of the strength of schedule metrics, probably top 25, top 30, uh, because every week you're playing basically a bowl team. After the Missouri State game, you're talking about taking on an Illinois team that won eight games last year. You're at Nevada. That was a really bad Nevada team last year, but they brought over like, you know, handful plus of Pac-12 transfers and typically has been a really good mid-major program. Uh, BYU, a team who consistently makes bowl games. Texas is a preseason top 15 team. UCF won uh, nine games last year. Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy has been one of the best, uh, most consistent programs and coaches in the Big 12. 
Oklahoma obviously like has potential to be a top 20 or 15 team. Um, Iowa State, like they could make a bowl game, maybe a little less sour on that after some of the recent news with them, but still Texas Tech, a lot of people are picking them to win, you know, maybe eight or nine games, maybe be a big 12 dark horse, Kansas State, again, top 20 team in the preseason. And then Cincinnati, a team who's been one of the most successful teams in the country over the last two, three, four years in college football. You go across the schedule, and there's no there's no really gimmies outside of the Missouri State game. Like, yes, they should win at Nevada. I guess that would be the next closest thing to a gimme. But, like, um, yeah. outside of really Missouri State and Nevada, but even then, Nevada is like a late-night game on the road, in mountain time, kind of altitude, stuff like that. Even if we remove those two games, the rest of the other ten games are basically coin flips at best. Yeah. And that scares you because what happens if you just have a year where you end up on the wrong side of the coin? Iowa State lost six one-score games last year. Well, Matt Campbell sucks. So, And they didn't have – I always say that one-score games, you're going to do better if you have a good quarterback and, and if or, you have a good coach. Or a good coach. Yeah, and I trust their coaching. Well, also, I feel like they have a good kicker now, too. That can't hurt. But specifically with the quarterback, like he's the guy with the ball kicker? in his hands. No, I just meant Kansas. Oh, Kansas. I, I just meant oh, okay, why okay. Kansas, I think they would – do better in those one-score games than Iowa yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like typically, the teams who do bad in one-score games, it will be like an Iowa State who great defense allows you so that every game is a one-score game because you're not giving up many points, but the offense just can't bring you through. So, um, I I do think they're better to overcome that. But still, like, what if what if you're you know you're you're zero and five in one-score games this year, right? And you lose those coin flips, you end up five and seven. Uh, the schedule makes it difficult that. If we go back to the injury conversation, you have any injuries, that could lead to one loss here or there. That, to me, is is one of the top reasons why if they did end up going under on the win totals, you would just look back and be like, yeah, they played a lot of teams who made bowl games and teams who were ranked. It's just a tough schedule. Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head with the comment about uh, there's no gimme games besides Missouri State and, and maybe Nevada, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to give Nevada as a gimme, that's two games. Out of your out of your twelve game schedule, that means you have you have to find a way to win four other games beyond that to get to to even break even on that win total of six at that point, and that's that's not easy to do because you do have a lot of games where you're kind of like, eh, yeah, that could maybe go one way or the other. You know, UCF is becoming more of a trendy pick to of a team that might do a little bit better in their first year in the Big Twelve, and on top of that, you you always talk about this, Derek, with the idea that. If you are a team in a group of five and you are jumping to a Power Five conference, that the depth of the conference is what hurts you, right? It's it's that you have to play that level of talent week in, week out. Well, on the flip side of that, Kansas plays BYU and UCF very, very early in conference in their conference schedule, which means that hypothetically, if those teams were going to be affected by the attrition of a Power Five schedule, it's not going to happen in their first couple yeah. conference games. And then even then you're like, well, Cincinnati at least you get in the last week, so there would be that attrition, but also it's senior day for them. So like that just maybe gives you enough emotion to like I'm yeah. gonna play through it. I don't so care. I, I don't I mean I don't I don't want to throw that out entirely, but I mean you get your BYU is literally BYU's first conference game ever in the Big Twelve. Then you play Texas and then you play UCF. And UCF again, early in the conference schedule, so that that concept of well, they might be wore down by the attrition of a long Power Five schedule. Not if it's their third conference game of the season. They mm-hmm. might, you know, they might not be wore down as much as you would maybe would hope that they might be. So, you know, those are games that are going to be really, really tough to win. And I, and I think in order to get to that six win total, you probably need to win one of BYU and UCF, right? I would think so. Like those are one of those two games. I think you have to win because 
you're probably not beating Texas on the road. Oklahoma State on the road is, uh, I, I just, I just don't think I don't know. I don't I have a good, seen a lot of success. I don't have so a good hard. vibe. Yeah. I don't have a good vibe about that one. Yeah. Then you get Oklahoma at home, which, by the way, uh, I saw this yesterday. KU's lost Oklahoma last year was one of the closest losses to Oklahoma they've had by just by a point total. I mean, I still think 10. it's funny they lost closer last year than the year before <laughs> when it's like they very easily could have beat them in 2021. Yeah, so that's the, that's been their closest loss since literally like 1997 uh, to Oklahoma. So probably not going to win that one though. You would think. Then you go to Iowa State, which okay, they don't have a team, but it's on the road. I've maintained time and time again. I'm not totally ready to confidently pick Kansas to win a conference game on the road yet. But if there was a game where I was going to do that potentially, it would probably be Iowa State because they don't have a team. <laughs> their they're starting running back and their starting quarterback are off the team. Matt Campbell stinks. They're going to start a – I don't even know who who's their starting quarterback, some freshman. Yeah, I don't know. With with the current situation, I know the, the Brock kid, the running back, he left yeah, he, the team. Yeah, he just left the program like – I don't, I don't know, know what's going on with Deckers if they're going to try to work through it, but I would imagine there's no way. Deckers was already off the team. Is he already off the team? I don't know. I honestly don't know. So, maybe. Then you get Texas Tech at home. Oh, well, guess what? Texas Tech, it's that it's that time of it's that time of college football season where once every 5 or 6 years, everyone wants to say Texas Tech's going to win the Big 12. We've come to that year. So, we'll see. I don't know about that. Then you get Kansas State at home, which it's that's going to be a very very difficult game, certainly. Uh, it's it's a game that I I don't really feel confident saying one way or the other. Kansas will win or Kansas will lose because part of that game, part of what will add to the significance of that game is, I mean, if Kansas struggles and they roll into that game with a three and seven record, it's not going to be the same as if they are even five and five or six and four. It's just not going to have the same vibe to it. So I'm a little nervous about what that might look like heading into that game. And then you get Cincinnati, which we've highlighted with the Cincinnati situation. Yes, they've been a very successful program, but it's a new program now with Scott Satterfield as the head coach. What are they going to look like? They lost a lot of production. That's the last game of the season. Very hard to project out that far to see what Cincinnati's going to be. So... Yeah, this is not an easy schedule from the standpoint of a lot of games where you feel good that Kansas is, is you feel confident Kansas is going to win. Again, you look at the schedule, you see two gimme, gimme games, and then you see probably four or five or six games where you could probably argue Kansas has maybe about a forty percent chance to win or fifty percent chance to win, but then you again, like you said, it's a coin flip at that point. Mm. So who knows? You know, you could win four of those. Or you could lose all of them. Uh, it's it's tough to say. So the schedule is is certainly difficult. But I will say this: previously with Kansas, you'd look at the schedule and you'd say L L L L, big L, huge L. Now you can sit here and say, okay, Kansas has a chance to win that game. They have a chance to be competitive in that game. They can beat UCF. They can beat BYU. They could maybe beat Texas Tech at home. You can you can you can see it, right? You can see it, and that hasn't always been the case. So I guess that's kind of the positive side of it. But but yeah, I mean, the early part of the schedule is going to be critical. I mean, like I said, probably 
probably four or five of your really most winnable games are in the first six weeks of the season. Missouri State, Illinois at home, Nevada, BYU, and UCF at home. I mean, that's five of probably your six or seven most winnable games on the schedule taking place in the first six weeks of the season. Yeah, you're going to kind of know early, similar to, to how last year was when, when you started 5-0. and um, I, I think the next part of this for me is is a reason that would keep you under is if the defense doesn't end up getting better. Dare I say, gets worse. You lose Lonnie Phelps from the year before. What if everybody else on the defense is back is just the same and you lost your most impactful player? Then you're worse. Now, I, I do think that there will be internal improvement with the guys returning, with added more depth, with added transfers, that even with losing Lonnie Phelps, I am expecting the defense to be better than it was a season ago. Now, how much better? I don't know. But if the defense does not get better or it is worse, that's automatically that's an avenue for why they would bad. end up under on the win total. Yeah, that's bad. That's yeah. not good. And to that notion, too, like if you're not forcing a lot of turnovers, um, because I, I think the offense flirted with maybe having a bit too many last year with the amount of fumbles they had, but maybe picked back up. Uh I don't know, maybe maybe you have more interceptions this year than, than last year. If some of your turnover numbers, you know, your defense can't force a bunch of them, and this goes back with if the defense can be much better or not, that's where things would be scary. Or if you just have a year where, like, you know, you have 30 turnovers or something bad where it's just one of those kind of fluky weirs, years. Yeah. Um, I guess I could throw in there for another reason of, of why they wouldn't hit the win total over, like, Teams getting a full offseason, more time to prep for Andy Kotelicki, for Jalen Daniels, to watch them on film, to spend that full offseason with analysts getting ready for game plans, what to do versus Kansas, as opposed to last year when maybe they were able to surprise them a little bit. I don't know how much stock I put into that one because I do think um, if it were that easy, then every offense who was creative would get slowed down the next season, and that doesn't really happen that often, right? Yeah. Usually it's if you're that well, innovative and good. Yeah, it's just tough in the college game because yeah. you have a lot of turnover on both offense and defense, right? So it's like maybe you, if you had an upperclassman on your defense that did have an understanding of how to slow down or had a better understanding of a defense, well, he's replaced. Or there's a lot more volatility with coordinator changes, with assistant coaching changes, to where I do think it's probably more difficult to kind of from year to year build that sort of bank of this is how we stop this team, this is how we stop you know mm -hmm. whatever. So I, yeah, I'm I guess the honestly I just had this thought about Andy Kolnicki like what if what if what if he just kind of gets too creative for his own good? What if he just kind of gets it, it becomes too much to where it's it's so out of the box that it becomes in a, like less effective. I guess it's possible. I, I don't expect that to happen. But, yeah, I I guess those are reasons why if they do end up only winning four or five games this season, um, or I guess they push at six, any of those reasons probably would be a big reason why. Uh, tomorrow will be more optimistic. And, and I have said I, I am taking over on KU for what it's worth. But tomorrow we'll talk about the biggest reasons why they would hit the win total over. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate joins us in 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer on KLWN. That time on a Tuesday, we're joined by Matt Tate of r1s1sports.com. Uh, Matt, KU is dipping into Australia. Johnny Furphy is joining the KU basketball team. He has arrived. Damon Greaves got a chance to uh, catch up with him at KU Football Media Day. He 
I would assume is going to be the starting punter. I guess we'll we'll wait and see on that. Uh, which Australian is going to make a bigger impact for KU this year? Is it Furphy or Greaves? Man, that's a tough call. Um, that, I, I think they both have a chance to be pretty pretty big impact type players. Um, but I'll go with I'll go with. Wow, that's tough. I'll go with Furphy simply because I think that if you look at the numbers um, on the football team, anyway. I think Reese Vernon's been the punter the last two and a half seasons, and his numbers in his half season, which was maybe seven or eight games, something like that, maybe five or six games, I think he had 38 punts in that half season. And, uh, and then last year, I think all of last year, he had 34 punts. So there was a time when KU football's punter was – a very, very monster weapon that they had to use and desperately needed. And then we reached the time where they got Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal and the rest of that gang going offensively, and they just don't punt as much. So I think there will be moments where, you know, you'll need a big leg here or there, and you'll have to pin someone inside the pen or whatever, and, and we'll see if Greaves can live up to that. But I think what Furphy can bring to the basketball team is, um, you know, he fits right in, first of all, uh, his athleticism, his length, his, his explosiveness, uh, and, and he shoots it pretty well, too. So, uh, you know, everything I hear from, from that side of the equation is that this kid could be a real big, real big impact type of dude. And, um, you know, Greaves can have a big one, too. I mean, I, you know, there's no question that he'll, he'll, if he wins that job, he'll be important. But um, I think the bigger, more noticeable one will be Furphy. Okay. Well, I guess it, it does make it easier because, you know, even though KU football is going to draw a lot of eyeballs and uh, going to have a chance to, to make another bowl game and stuff, it, it is a little bit different when, you know, if your basketball team is chasing a national title, it's going to feel like even though if the impact is lesser to a certain degree, that the impact is more just by the, the team success that's kind of fueled there. Um, as, as KU camp kind of wraps up here and we get ready to uh, head into game week next week for the, the KU-Missouri State game, is there a position battle that has maybe intrigued you most at camp so far or uh, maybe maybe a certain spot or position that you're most interested to see uh, who pops up where in the first official depth chart whenever that is released before game one? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the position group that's got me most interested is the D-line. I think they have a lot of talent there. I think they... They have a lot of new faces. They've got some old faces that will step into new roles. And, uh, and I think they feel pretty good about what they have there. But, you know, feeling good about that on August 5th is different than it would be feeling good about it, you know, on a Saturday in October. So we've got to see what that group can do when the lights are on and when it's game time and all of that. Um, but I think there's a lot to like. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, you know, you continue to hear – Really good things about the transfers. Uh, Devin Phillips uh, on the inside, especially Austin Booker's another one. Big, tall, long, fast, physical dude on the edge. Um, there, there's obviously some some room to make up a lot of uh, production there when when you consider that Lonnie Phelps is no longer here. So um, th- there's a lot of guys that that I think. I think they probably will rotate it, and I think they'll give guys multiple chances. But, you know, you also just need one chance to show them that 
hey, you can end the rotation right now and just make me the guy. So there's a lot of guys that are going to have that opportunity. I think Jeremy Robinson's another guy that, that um, is the name and is one of those familiar faces and has played a lot of football here, but he's stepping into by far his biggest role, both as a, as a production guy and, and as you know, sort of a potential leader of that unit if he, if he brings it. So a um, lot of guys to like up there, a lot of, a lot of unknowns at the same time. And, and so I think that's why I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. Because when you look at a lot of the other positions, you, you kind of know what they have. I mean, this is a team that returns a ton, right? And so you know what they have at quarterback. You know what they have at running back. You know what they have at receiver. You know what they have at tight end. Even the O-line has most of its guys back, even though there's some, some added depth and a couple new faces there. Um, the corners are similar to last year. The safeties are similar to last year. So really, by process of elimination, I think you're looking at, at the D-line or the linebacker position. And so that, that would be one-two for me. Um, but there's just something about the D-line because I think maybe because there's more names, more bodies, more, more opportunities to see, hey, is that, does that guy really have it? Is that, really, is that guy really what we've seen so far, or, or is that just showing up in practice? So uh, that's going to be really interesting, and, and they need both of those uh, positions, linebacker and, and D-line, to, to, to deliver in order for this team to get what they want to get. We're talking with Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. What about a player that might not hit the field much this year? Maybe they'll be a rotational player, but uh, regardless of the level of, of impact or, or play that they have this year, is there a player that you think has at least entrenched themselves into a good position for, for maybe the future years, for years to come, that they could be uh, a possible player to keep an eye on in 2024 or 2025? Yeah, so you're talking about a younger guy, mm-hmm. most likely? Yes. Oh man, that's such a good question. Um, I, you know, I think Jalen Dye is a name that comes to mind. He, he's he's a, a safety who has a chance to take a big step forward. Um, he got a lot of reps when when Kenny Logan and, and Marvin Grant were out in spring, and uh, there was a lot written and made of that. And and I, from everything I hear, that he delivered. He's not super young anymore. He's been around, but he's also a guy that. You know, is is really at that point of of a breakthrough if if he can if he can deliver. Um, that's not a great one though. Um, Calvin Clements is probably a really a really good name. I mean, he's a he's a, you know, Free State fans here in town know him. Lawrence High fans here in town know him. And um, his camp as a true freshman and early enrollee, uh, it sounds like it went as good as it could possibly have gone. I mean, he's. He's a monster of a dude. Um, he was big at Free State, but he's bigger now, and it just carries himself, you know, much, much more like a college football lineman than a high school football lineman, and, and that's pretty significant, and that's a pretty big thing to do in a short period of time. So um, I, I love his future. I love his potential. I think Calvin Clements is an NFL type of prospect, no question about that. And uh, th- there's there's a lot of reasons to be excited about what he can do. I think that the the the, the excitement has to be tempered a little bit because if you're a Kansas fan or even if you're just a Calvin Clements fan, you don't want to see him this year. To be honest, you probably would rather he not have to play. Now, get him his four games, give him that opportunity to experience it a little bit, but maintain that red shirt, and then come out of this season with 
with uh, four more years of eligibility. And on top of that, if you don't have to see Calvin play this year, that means the guys in front of him, the, the starting five and, and, and whatnot, held up, stayed healthy, and, and all those things, too. So, um, you know, Calvin's easily the answer. I know I said Jalen first. That was the one that came to mind right away. But, but Calvin is without question the answer. And he couldn't be a nicer young man. He's, he's um, a diehard Jayhawk. He loves, loves, loves being a part of this program that he grew up dreaming about, watching, living and dying with, all that stuff. And, and now he knows that he's a big part of it, a big part of the future. And, and um, it's just cool to watch and talk to him and see him appreciate that and get excited about that because, yeah, there's no doubt that this kid has a huge, huge future ahead of him. Uh, what about Logan Brantley from uh, Colorado, a uh, freshman coming in? I know you just wrote a piece on him uh, as well pretty recently for R1S1Sports.com. Uh, what do you think about his future with the team? I, I like that answer, too, a lot. He, he's He's got a chance probably to play uh, even a little quicker than Calvin does just because of the position he plays at linebacker and that hawk position and 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 the fact that you know he's really turning heads too i mean his speed his athleticism good looking kid young kid denver broncos fan i mean there's just tons of things to like about the young man so um you know yeah i think that's a great one and and you know linebackers coach chris simpson was was talking about him uh, a couple weeks ago or maybe last week and and you know, I mean, he flat out said, we want more that look like that. That's that's the whole idea when we're out there recruiting. That's who we're looking for. And they're getting those kids now, right? And I think that's that's the, the biggest thing to remember is they're not just looking for them, but they're getting them. And if they can get more, then this thing can really take off. And so, yeah, terrific answer there, too. I mean, Brantley, um, you'll see him this year. Uh, he'll He'll be – a special teams flash at the very least, and and quite possibly a linebacker rotation type of player as well. But but he's yeah he's that hawk position. He's that hybrid kind of guy that that has you know pass rush skills and linebacker skills and also some safety athleticism and skills. And right now they're they're throwing a lot at him and trying not to overwhelm him by developing him in all of those areas. They I think they want him to you know get comfortable doing one thing first and then kind of take it and progress from there. But um, he's the kind of kid that studies his face off. He works his butt off. He's he's 100% on every rep. He doesn't take plays off, all that stuff. So you'll see him this year, no question about it, somewhere on the field. And, and I think you'll notice it when you do. Um, and and if, you can, if you can look at this program two, three, four years from now and, and you see a bunch more Calvin Clements, Logan Brantley type players, uh, man, I, I think this program's just just got a chance to absolutely continue to climb and and be what everybody wanted to be and be something that's that's worthy of uh, that new stadium that's coming down the pike. Meanwhile, over for uh, KU women's basketball, they announced today that as part of their trip to the Cayman Islands, they're going to be taking on uh, Connecticut, who obviously has been I don't know maybe the the most blue blood of all the blue bloods of of the women's college game. And Virginia Tech, who made it to a Final Four last year before falling to uh, eventual national champion LSU in the the semifinals. Um, How cool of an opportunity is that for the women's team, a women's team that is trying to grow their program and certainly has seen the level of play and and the expectations of the program rise up into this year? It it, it couldn't be cooler, man. I mean, that's 
that's the kind of thing you can recruit to as well. You know, you, you can start telling future prospects, hey, look, you know, not only are we a program on the rise and have, not only have we kind of found our stride here and are turning things the right way, but we're also not afraid to go put you in these high-profile situations and, and allow you to test yourself against the best of the best of the best and um, not to mention going to the Cayman Islands to do it. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about that opportunity. So I, I think it's phenomenal. Um, you know, you saw the field released a while ago and you knew KU was going to get two games and uh, I certainly was hoping that, that UConn would be one of those but for you know who else is there I mean it's a it's a ridiculous field it was almost automatic that they were going to get two really good opportunities and two really good programs so yeah Vatek a perennial contender um, the, the UConn the, the traditional powerhouse program that it is um, and, and these Kansas players are going to show up for both of those games and expect to win. And I think that's significant when you think about, you know, do they win? We'll find out. I mean, it's, it's a tall task no matter where you play the game. But if, if they can compete, if they can find a way to win a game, if they can, you know, come home with some positive momentum out of that, um, yeah, then, then you start looking at this season as in a whole different light. I think you start looking at this season as maybe this team is good enough to, to compete for a Big 12 title, and, and maybe this team is good enough for a deep NCAA tournament run because everything on paper says they are. Everything about the talent they have, everything about the, the camaraderie and the chemistry and the, you know, the coaching and the development of players and the, the relationships between the players and the coaches and all that. I mean, there's – there's just a million things to like about what's happening with that program right now. But if you can springboard some of that by going and playing well against those two, two opponents or, or, or beating one of them, um, it, it can take off in a hurry from there. I mean, you, you want to talk about serious confidence and momentum that, that would do it. So what a really cool opportunity. And, and the flip side of that too is, is, you don't even have to really worry about it. I mean, if they lose those games, they're not going to feel great about that. They, they're going to want to win. They're going to expect to win. They're going to prepare to win, all that stuff. But, you know, it's UConn, right? Like, if you go lose a game to UConn, is anybody going to trash you for that? I don't, I don't think so. You know, I mean, unless, unless you just play terrible basketball and, and you know, tripped all over yourself and, and didn't give yourself a chance to even compete. Um, you know, I think people are, are understanding of a loss to UConn. There's hundreds and hundreds of teams that have suffered that fate over the last several years. So um, I, I think that that's kind of a, a, a low pressure opportunity for them to get a really good uh, momentum boost out of that too. So super cool opportunity. And my wife and I were in the Cayman Islands, uh, in May, we went on a little vacation there, and uh, I can speak firsthand that they're going to have a wonderful experience with that. I mean, it was a really amazing place to be, and, and uh, we'll see if they get any fun time mixed in there. But, but you know, I'm sure the fun will be the, those two games and, and doing it like a business-like approach and all that stuff because that's the point. That's why they're going there. They're not, they can go to a beach anywhere. You know, the, the idea of playing UConn doesn't happen every day, and and they're going to take that very seriously, no question about it. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work at r1s1sports.com. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Yeah, man, you too. Thanks so much. And uh, hard to believe we'll be discussing life during game week next week at this time. Craziness. 
That's It'll be right. fun, though. I'll talk to you then. That's right. We will talk to you then, right here on RCST again. Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Derek. Take care. All right. Matt Tate joining us here on a Tuesday. Uh, we're going to take a timeout. One hour down, two to go. We got our top 10 sounds in sports. We're going to also get to some more KU football audio throughout the show. Still have our KU football superlative segment, and Kevin Flaherty will join us coming up at 440. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on RCST. You might have heard me mention it with Matt, but uh, yeah, that is some news from today. The KU women's basketball team going to play Virginia Tech and uh, UConn in the Cayman Cayman Islands as part of that uh, non-conference tournament that they're going to be doing. So that'll be a great opportunity. I mean, if you even, I I, I don't know how much Virginia Tech brings back. I don't know. For all I know, UConn is... Well, I know Virginia Tech. They had that uh, yeah. six seven or six six girl. Her name was uh, Elizabeth something. I think. I think. So I I don't know what's all coming back. I guess basically, but I would assume a former well, Final I think Four Paige team Becker should be back for UConn. Yeah, coming off like ACL, ACL yeah. right? Yeah. Um. Either way, like program wise, that's a big opportunity for if even they win one of the two games, that really shows where where the program can be. Uh, so uh, that is something to keep note of for the end of November. It'll be November 24th and November 25th. Uh, by the way, the KU Women's Soccer Home Opener, which is scheduled for August 24th, which is uh, Thursday. Thursday. Yep. It was originally scheduled for 7 p.m. It is now actually getting moved to 8 p.m. to account for the heat, try to make things a little bit cooler by the time the game starts. So yep. uh, if you are planning on attending the game against Vanderbilt at 8 at Rock Chalk or uh, you were at 7 at Rock Chalk Park. Just know it is now at 8 o'clock over there. Okay, I have a top 10 list, top 10 sounds in sports. And, uh, you know, there's some generic ones on here, some, I don't know. Well, we'll just, uh, before I get into the top 10, here's the honorable hey, mention. Okay, so Maybe this is going to be a good mention? idea. Yeah, yeah I yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, a great call by a broadcaster. I think in okay. its own way, that is a sound in sports. Literally, it is a sound. The reason I didn't oh, include true. it, though, is because, like, I'm more so thinking if you're like at the game or you're at a sporting event, you're not hearing the broadcaster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. No, that, that is a good one though because yeah. a great call can elevate a like a cool For moment sure. to like literally. You know, I mean, you think like Jim Nance in the Final Four calling like you know Villanova winning the national championship or you know yeah. even when KU you know like that that can. Further enshrine a great sports memory for fans. Yeah, whether it's you know Al Michaels or it's I can't believe what I just saw in in the World Series. Right? There, there are certain calls that become memorable for you, whether it's KU or if it's national or whatever. Yeah, a uh, strike in bowling, just hearing the bowling pins go down. There's something nice about that. Shout out bowling. Yeah, same with like kind of pool balls colliding. Like it just sounds kind of cool. Uh, dribbling a basketball. Are you calling the pool dribble? balls a, a sport? Pool. Um. I don't know. That's a good question. Is it a sport or is it a? Hey, or is I guess it just it's a, a recreational activity. Yeah, I guess. What's the difference there? I don't know. I'm just. I'm just. Listen, I don't, I don't want to. I didn't mean. Well, to it's open not a can in of here, worm. so it doesn't matter. Uh, bas- uh, dribbling a basketball and then a ref's whistle. It's very synonymous with sports, but it also isn't always it's a great annoying, thing, though. Which yeah. is why it's not in the top ten. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's get into this. Number ten. Number ten. Top ten sports sounds. The yelling in tennis. So you hit a shot. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. There's all the uhs uh. in tennis. That's in at number 10. You cannot have a tennis match without the, the groaning and moaning and yelling. It, it's not tennis. Uh. It's not. Ha. And that's the thing. That's part of this list, too. 
Is it iconic? If you close your eyes yep. and you just hear this at a sporting event, do you know what sport it is? Maybe yes. that's going against the pool balls and the bowling strike. You might it might yeah. be one or the other, right? Yeah. You close your eyes, you can listen to a tennis match. Well, you might think it's something <laughs> else, but if it's a sport, you know what it is. Yeah. Number nine. Number nine is the squeak of a shoe on a basketball court. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? It's synonymous with great defense. Yes, it is. Yeah, or like uh, a Harvard Ivy League-style offense that they're constantly yeah, like, yeah, cutting yeah. around and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. There is something beautiful about it, um, especially because they, it means you're in kind of an open gym setting and there's a serenity to that. Usually you're yeah. not going to really hear it if you're at a game and there's ambiance and crowd well, environment. You to hear it sometimes. Yeah, it depends on what it is. The reason it's not higher, though, is because... Too many shoe squeaks can be annoying. It can get annoying. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, it's cool. You're like in the game. It's intense. But then you're like, after a while, you're like, okay. Yeah. If everybody's squeaking their shoes, you know what that means they're not doing? Shooting and scoring. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. So it's in a number nine. It's in there, but it's not any higher. Number eight. Eighth on the list is a ball clanking off the rim. Mm. There are certain broadcasts where but I don't is this know a why. good thing? Well, okay, we'll, we'll get into the, the diversity of, of what this would represent because it, okay. you're right, it does amplify missing shots, I mean, right? if, if you shoot a brick, yes. it's not a good thing. No, it's not, but there is something that sounds cool about it, especially, and, and this is part of it, though, if it's the other team shooting it, it's great, yeah. right? Yeah, that's fair. And yeah. there's something even better about it when it's a free throw and it's the other team. And it just yeah. clanks off and it makes a loud noise. But like I said, there's some broadcasts where I don't know if this is like a broadcast decision or what, where they crank yeah, that thing up. Yeah, you can turn up. it up and turn it down. And those where it's like a three-pointer and it like, like clanks around. Bonk, yes. Bonk. yes. Those get me going in a certain way. Now, obviously, again, if it's not your team, which is why this one is not higher on the list. But there is something endearing about that, um, I think specifically to college basketball, because in, in the NBA – it's more about like the shot. Yeah, in the making. NBA, it's more about you're good. Yes. So you shouldn't hit the rim. There is something endearing about it with college basketball to me. So I actually kind of like it in a number eight. Number seven. Seventh, though, because this is just the better version of basketball. The swish sound. Yeah. This might. This, yeah. This might be too low to be honest. Well, Let's see okay. what else you got on the list, but this might be too low. Here, here's why it is only number seven. I think a lot of people would have this much higher. If you're in an empty gym. And you hit a swish. There is something gorgeous about that sound, and I agree it would be top five. My problem is that again, if you're in a big sporting event where it's loud and there's a lot of fan noise, this is one of those sounds you can't really hear. You have to have really good seats, right? If you're, I mean, it's got to be a really pure shot. You got to be really close to the the basket. You, it's it's great in an open gym. It's great if you're just shooting hoops by yourself and you hear the swish sound and it makes you want to just keep going or it makes you want to you know end on that shot because have that noise it's just it, it's hard harder to hear in an actual game event so that's where it got dinged mm, okay number six number six off the post in hockey ah this is a good one off it's the pipe. very loud off the Bing. pipe yeah yeah it's a loud like Bing. i mean it's it's a it's a dense puck hitting yes. into I, I would assume it's aluminum um or metal or metal, whatever. yeah it makes a loud sound and i don't, it's I don't the, know what it is now it's the drama that it provides to because Bing. sometimes in hockey off the pipe well uh, like unlike some of these other sports right like with with basketball you clearly see the ball going there's some times where you're watching hockey on tv and oh yeah you can't tell if it went in or not on the, for like a split second yeah. before you see the puck come out or if it's yeah, covered yeah. or whatever yeah there is that moment of doubt and so 
sometimes in hockey, sound is ahead of vision for you. True. Right? Yeah, true. So yeah. when you hear it ping off the thing, that, don't, that doesn't always mean they score. Adds though. to the drama. No, it usually means they don't. Yeah. But if your team's in goal, it, it see it's one of those weird things. When you're on offense and I you mean, hit the post, it's, it's like, like it's almost encouraging to a yes. certain point. It's like we we're so close, but it's also like, man. And then defensively, it's almost it's, like, it's oh no, they're it's very like, close. It's agony. But also, yeah. it's like, thank goodness. And there's a slight bit of relief. Yeah. And I think specifically, when you're in an overtime playoff hockey game, off oh, the it's, post, it's, it's, it's brutal. It, yeah, absolutely brutal of a sound. But yeah, uh, I, I think it's, it's very synonymous. And uh, yeah, in at number six. Okay, pretty good. Number five. There's actually a, a, a series that we have of, of balls off of like metal type objects here with that kind of starting off. Okay. That was more of the drama type, right? Like the 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 puck off the post, is it creates drama. Number five, I think, is more humorous. There are times where it does create drama. Like okay. you'll know the example I'm talking about. Number five is the doink field goal. Right, like the the Bears Eagles one from a couple years ago. The double doink. The double doink. That yeah. is drama. No one's going to forget double doink. Humorous about it, right? No, yeah, no, yeah. Because when you think about doink it, a field how goal, ridiculous this yes. double doink sound. Yeah, it's it so sounds ridiculous. like the dumbest thing ever. But even doinking it once, like when Harrison Bucker did it in the Super Bowl, like yeah, at the time it wasn't great and it wasn't fun, but yeah, you think back, I don't just know. the word this doink might be too high. I don't know. Just the word, but dude, I mean it, that's true. The word doink adds. To it, it. it does. And it, it, you hear it very loud and clearly, but it's not like the same, like the ping of the off no, the post. Like it's, the like a, it's like the reverberation. Yes, like, yes, the reverberation. And you see the the actual goalpost like moving around. It's vibrating. Yeah. That's what the sound is, vibration. This might be too high. I think the doink adds to it, and I think there is a humor about it because think about it. When you are when you are watching uh, you know, NFL coming up here on Sundays and you're watching Red Zone, they're going to switch to a game in week two or week three. There's going to be a doink field goal, and, and you're going to smile awesome. about it. Yeah, you're going to chuckle about it. It's yeah. great. Sports is supposed to be fun. Too high. All right. Number four. Number four is the crowd. You just could the, argue this should be higher. Just the general roar of crowd. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I just went in general because there are a lot of things the crowd does. The yeah. crowd can chant, right? Yeah. Sometimes that can be good. Sometimes it can be chants like the, the you know, sell the team. Like Refs, the A's, you right? suck. Refs, you suck, Refs, right? you suck. Uh, intimidating Carl Sheffers at a Monday Night Football game. Um... You have the the just getting loud when something cool happens, yeah, or getting loud to I, try to psych another team out, right? Yeah, or I always think of like, and this really only happens in baseball, but just like the general murmur, yeah, in between like at bats and stuff, a little that's, chatter, yeah, that's it's kind of yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, it is. It, it creates a different type of ambiance. Uh, and then and then like the flip side of that is like you're in Allen Fieldhouse, a free throw happens, the silence, yeah, right. Yeah. There is something cool about that. Um, what about during golf when you have fans yelling like mashed potatoes or like yeah. baba booey? Yeah, this you is know? very versatile. Very versatile. Very versatile. Yeah. And I think the number one though, when I think of the the crowd noises, is I think of just booing. Well, I, I guess that would be up there. I don't know. Booing, I think, is lame to be honest. But it's synonymous with crowds. That's what they do. They boo. I understand that, and honestly, that's probably why it's not top three. Boo. Imagine if you booed things in your normal life the same way you did as a fan. I might do that. That's a genius idea. So you're gonna go. You're gonna go to a restaurant tonight and eat and dinner. If my waiter sucks. I'm gonna. You're gonna just. They're gonna come back every time you walk by. Right? Imagine doing that in real life. Yeah, you'd be horrible. You'd be horrible. Um, it's so stupid. No, I, I think <laughs> booing is dumb. But but here's the one I love. It's the it's the the ah uh, oh that is always not a good thing. Or like the okay, I understand. Like you got a guy wide open in the middle yes. of the field. Quarterback throws uh, it and he drops, drops it. it. Oh. 
You hear every, the the audible sigh of everyone sighing and doing the same thing is incredible. Because <laughs> yeah, it happens. If receiver drops a ball. If you have like a, let's say it's a baseball game, somebody drops a fly ball. Well, that too. Or he, your batter smokes one to like left field, and you're but like, this is gone. Everybody yeah. thinks it's gone, and yeah. it's caught on the warning track. Yeah. It's just this audible sigh. Uh, you miss a putt. Like yeah. you're on a golf course, it looks like uh, you're running. Oh, everybody sighs at the same time. It's funny. I love it. Number three. Number three, top ten sounds in sports is the crack of the bat. Yeah. Sweet crack I, of the bat. Honestly, I thought this was going to be number one for you. Mm. I really did. This is I probably. Think this, I think you could make a, a very, very could. concerted argument for this being number one. Well, this is the most, I think, synonymous phrase with sounds in sports. Would you agree with that? I think it's the most synonymous sound, probably. You do? Certainly okay. With baseball. I would maybe put this at number one for me. Okay. Well, for what it's worth, by the way. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I did want to mention because uh, not a, 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 you know, there are a lot of levels where you use an aluminum bat. It's got to be the crack of a wooden bat. It does. Aluminum bats, thick. The, the ping of the bat Trash. is a funny sound. It it's is not terrible. top 10 worthy. Yeah, I hate it. It's awful. There is a, a I, I like making fun of it. Like, it's funny to be like, well, what's terrible ping, about, Yeah, what's ping, terrible about it is. Ping. With aluminum Ping. bats, every fly ball Ping. you hit off an aluminum Ping. bat sounds like it should be a home run. Yeah. It's so annoying. Yeah. It's so infuriating. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, crack of the bat, it just sounds so sweet and so pure. When you got a guy with a good swing and he just unloads on one, and yeah. when you can hear it and it's a home run, oh, it's, it's something beautiful. And especially, too, like, the I would fact maybe that you can hear it sometimes on TV broadcast oh, when it's that good of a swing clear as day. is great. Yeah. yeah. Number two. I just couldn't get it above the top two. It's a very worthy candidate. Number two is pads colliding. Yeah. So, like, football. Specifically the first, like, day when you have the pads out (laughs) and you hear the pads colliding, the shoulder pads going against each other, and they're just popping. Like, when you're watching Hard Knocks, just the parts where, like, I could do it without the voiceovers and the sound. Well, think about the quarterback series. How many many segments of the quarterback series was just segments of Kirk Cousins getting crunched? Yes. Uh, Yes. And you'd hear the the pads, like, hitting each other. Dude, that... There is something beautiful about that sound. <laughs> I could fall asleep to that sound. Just record those sounds, and instead of those, you know how people have those like sleeping machines that do like the like the, the whale water song. or the yeah the, the different nature like, noises uh, and stuff. Yeah, like water running over in yes. a river. Yeah, my sister does. That. Give me pads. I, I don't under, really understand it at all. No, give I me pads. Silence. Blind. Just give me some silence. Okay, to sleep. All right, number one. Number though. one. The top sports sound is. Actually, win a different baseball one. Ball to mitt, it's ball to glove. Because I don't like that. See, the more I don't I like that at all. The crack of the bat. Crack of the bat should be number one above I, ball and mitt, hundred percent. I don't know, man, because the crack of the bat is a very specific instance. The ball to mitt is so universal. It doesn't just have to be Major League Baseball or something. The ball to mitt is every level of baseball. The ball to mitt is going home after work and playing catch with your kid. The ball to mitt is timeless. It is the ultimate symbolism and representation of, you know, you just want to have a catch with your kid, right? Like, yeah, there's I, something I beautiful know. about the crack pop of the bat. The mitt is better. Grab the ball. I I disagree. I think the ball to crack mitt of the bat is better. Beautiful about it. I like the pop of the pads number two. I think uh, the squish should have been a lot higher mm. in basketball. I liked the inclusion of hockey there. I'm a NASCAR fan, so I like the sound of NASCAR. Mm. The first, the just first, like the very first running. lap. Yeah, the first lap where they like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> or, you know, like IndyCar. Like, that stuff's cool. I would have probably put that on there. But, you okay. know, it's your list. Yeah. It can be bad. That's fine. <laughs> Definitely okay. disagree with the bat and the mitt thing. The well, that should have been, or the bat should have been higher. 
Let us know what you think at RCST1320 or if we missed anything on the list. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show from 24-7 Sports coming up uh, in about 20 minutes from right now. Coming up on the other side, though, we've got some more KU football player audio. We'll get to that next on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here on KLWN. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Talk a little Big 12 and KU football here. Kevin, so far with uh, KU Fall Camp coming to a close here soon, what is the biggest KU Fall Camp takeaway that uh, you may have had so far? Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, on one side, the the good side of things, it, it sounds like a lot of the defensive line holes and, and things where you went into it feeling like, okay, newcomers have to step up, you know, whether that's transfers or just guys stepping into new roles who aren't actually newcomers, guys like, you know, Tommy Dunn or DJ Withers. Uh, you, you wanted those to pan out, and I'm not saying, you know, hey, the, the questions are, are answered or anything like that, but I do think that Kansas came out of preseason camp sort of feeling more positively maybe about those spots than a lot of fans maybe would have thought going in, you know, with uh, with some newer guys stepping in, Devin Phillips, you know, that other spot, Austin Booker potentially uh, with Hayden Hatcher being a little bit banged up over there. And so I do think that that was sort of the good news. The, the bad news or, you know, or we're not sure news, of course, you know, relates to the the overall health, right? That's the one thing that you really want from camp is you, you want to answer your questions, but even beyond that, you want to head into the season healthy. And I think that when you look at, at Jalen Daniels, the time he missed and everything, you know, it, it's not the sort of thing I don't think that's a major concern as of yet, but it is the sort of thing where you're saying, okay, you know, it it'd make me feel a lot better if Kansas is, you know, preseason All Big Twelve, you know, Player of the Year winds up uh, winds up being fully healthy for this season because the Jayhawks are are going to need him. Well, we to begin the show talked about reasons that would keep Kansas from ending up. Uh, with the over on their win total. So basically being below it, being at, you know, four or five wins on the air. And one of the pillars we brought up was was injury there. Uh, going through reasons of, of what would prevent. If, if I told you at the end of the year, Kansas was at four or five wins by the end of the year, what would be the biggest reason why outside of injury that you think that would happen? Yeah, I, I'm glad you said outside of injury because I was going to say injury. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, outside of injury, I, I think, you know, if you look at defensively in particular, you have some guys that are stepping into new spots or at least new spots at, at Kansas. And so you want the, the offense, obviously, to be as good as it was last year. I know, you know, the quote-unquote advanced, you know, metrics have Kansas's offense falling off some this year. I, I, the main reason for that, my understanding is just that it factors in past performance and also factors in recruiting, you know, two things that, you know, when you look at, at recent history, is going to ding Kansas a little bit. And so it's not, hey, they don't look at it as, hey, KU returns 10 starters from an offense that ranked ninth in the country in SP+. 
they look at that, sure, but then against that is also, well, Kansas hasn't been very good offensively, you know, in the near past. They haven't recruited necessarily at a super high level when compared to some of these other people. And so they see the offense falling off. And I can see the offense taking a dip a little bit. I don't think that it's going to fall off the way that that some, some of these formulas project. But at the same time, if the offense falls off just a little bit, and if the defense in particular isn't able to hold up against the run, I, I think that's sort of the formula where you look at it and you say, if, K, if KU's healthy, if they're only winning four games this season, that could maybe be it, where the firepower just isn't quite where it was and the defense struggles to stop people running the ball because you look at that schedule in particular, Derek, you've got that game in, in week two against Illinois. That's the game where Brett Bielema is going to line up, run the ball at you 45 times. And if you can slow him down, you've got a chance to win. And if you don't, you're probably going to lose that game. And if Kansas goes into that game and, and gets pushed around a little bit, I don't know that it looks particularly great about slowing down BYU Two weeks later, another very physical team that is going to want to run the ball, you know, with, with the personnel and everything that they have there. And so I do think if you're asking me, hey, if Kansas stays relatively healthy, but the win total is, is under, why, why would that happen? I think it would be a combination of those few things along with sort of that early schedule that, you know, could, could have Kansas stumble a few times before they get out of September. Yeah, and and basically what you're saying with the defense there is if they're the same or worse than they were last year. And, you know, we've talked to you before about uh, breakout candidates for this year. Jeremy Robinson's been a popular name for for that answer. Let's say that doesn't end up happening. Let's say that Jeremy Robinson um, is kind of the same guy he was last year where you saw the, the peaks, but it's maybe a little bit more inconsistent. What at that point do you becomes the state of the defensive end position and the defense overall? Like, is that maybe the most important thing that can happen for the defense to get better? Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily. Don't get me wrong. I mean, having an All Big Twelve candidate, mm-hmm. if Robinson reaches his potential, would be huge for the defense. And you look at the last couple defenses with Kyron Johnson and Lonnie Phelps. They've had you know that All Big Twelve type defensive end. That hey, it's it's third and eight. We feel with some certainty that this guy is at least going to be somebody that opponents have to game plan for. You know, I, I think that, that Robinson being, you know, just sort of what he has been is, I mean, he would still be a fairly effective player at that point. At that point, you would need one of the newcomers to, to really step up. And it was encouraging to hear that, hey, Austin Booker is, has had a good camp. You know, I, I think that you know you look at you look at that defensive end group. I think they needed at least another one with you know kind of the depth of guys that they have there. You know, Dylan Brooks is a guy I'm high on for the future, but you know, when, when does that come, Derek? Does it come week six? Does it come week eight? Does it come next year? You know, I, I think those are are fair questions. How does Davion Westmoreland fare when he's getting more reps? Hayden Hatcher was a guy that that was at that starting spot and then got a little bit banged up, you know, where's, where's he going to be at, you know, from a health standpoint, as well as is Hayden Hatcher, you know, still a, a starting candidate into week eight. I, I think there are, 
I think there are possible other answers there, especially with, you know, the way the defensive tackles have looked. It may be that, that Kansas gets a little bit more push or more rush up the middle than what they've had. But I do think that that would be a significant blow if Jeremy Robinson doesn't sort of take that next step forward and become an all-league type guy. Well, what level does the defense have to get to? And I know this is kind of an open-ended question. You could approach it from a stats view, from just a general view, for them to win more games in the regular season than they did last year. So to win seven or eight games this season, like where does the defense need to get at bare minimum from where they were last year? Yeah, and the the interesting thing is, is if Jalen Daniels stays healthy last year and if the special teams weren't as bad, which I know that, you know, that's a, a whole nother subject. People don't realize, I, I think Kansas's defense was like 102nd last year in defensive SP plus. And, you know, that's obviously pretty, pretty rough. Kansas was like 126 though in special teams SP plus. And so I think Kansas last year could have had eight or so wins had Jalen Daniels stayed healthy had they not sort of booted away some key plays on special teams in some of those games. And so I do think the defense needs to get better, but, you know, I don't know that while, while obviously Kansas would love to have the defense take a major leap, I don't know that it needs to become, say, a college football average unit for Kansas to win more games than it did last year. If the special teams gets better, which I think that the special teams are going to get better, if the offense plays well and Jalen Daniels has, you know, a healthy season, I think that Kansas can win with a defense that was roughly around the same level that it was last year. But if you're talking about significant improvement where it's, hey, the 2023 Jayhawks are significantly better than they were a year ago, I, I think that you're probably looking at them pushing at least into the 70s, if not even higher than that, you know, from last year's you know, 102nd, I think, finish. Typically, year in and year out, when you look at the most improved defenses in terms of just the, the bare bones of it, like the points per game, I know that's not a, uh, a be-all, end-all, because what if Kansas just gives up less points per game because they run a slower offense, right? Like, there, there are ways that, you know, that, sure. that can be kind of a flawed metric. But uh, when, when you look at year in, year out, I, I feel like, I don't know, you, you'd probably have a better knowledge of this than I would. I feel like typically the, the best teams are what, around like seven, eight, nine, ten points per game better in the most extreme circumstances? Is is that kind of accurate? Like, what what do you think the ceiling is of, of the most they could improve in one year? Yeah, I think you're you're probably about right on that. And like you said, it's tough because that's such a noisy stat. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can obviously mess with it with tempo. You can affect it by special teams. You know, if if all of a sudden Kansas is gaining say ten yards on its net punting or or something like that, then all of a sudden the the defense is going to look probably a little bit better. You know, maybe. Maybe it's a turnover type thing where either the offense is turning the ball over a lot and it's putting you in bad situations or it's not turning the ball over, but your defense is there. There are a lot of things that can go through that. But yeah, I do think, you know, when you look at at just sort of raw, Hey, these are the, the points per game allowed. I do think typically you see those jumps being, you know, kind of around what you mentioned, sort of that seven to 10, maybe, points per game when you do see a pretty significant jump from from one season to another 
And typically those jumps, I feel like, occur for multiple reasons. One, you know, you bring in newcomers sometimes who, who hit the ground running. Obviously, Kansas is hoping for that. Two, you bring back a lot of experience and players from the previous year. I think that's maybe the most important part. And obviously, Kansas brings back, you know, sort of its back seven, if you will, along with Robinson, who is sort of a co-starter if you will, at least in terms of reps. So they bring back a lot of experience. And the other thing is that turnover thing. Can Kansas force more turnovers and force key turnovers? You you look at that Baylor game, it was kind of the only thing that kept Kansas in that game was the defense's ability to force turnovers. And so those are kind of the three areas that I look at where you know, you say, hey, you'd like to see Kansas do this a, a little bit better than it did last year if they're going to make that kind of significant points per game job. We were talking uh, last week about what is KU's most winnable Big 12 games and, or, or, you know, just games on the schedule that you felt best about that they'd have the best chance to win in. And, you know, there, there isn't one game where you're like, as far as in the Big 12, where you're like, oh, that's that, of course they're going to win that. They're all kind of coin flip ish. Um, but as we were going through it last week, you know, we, we kind of settled in on on Iowa State on the road, given all of the off the field stuff that's been going on. Where it's you know maybe you're starting a freshman quarterback. Uh, Jarrell Brock is obviously no longer with the program at this point in time, and I feel wrong about doing that because it's on the road. Like Iowa State still has a really good defense. Uh, they're a team that I before all the off-the-field stuff, thought that they'd bounce back to being like a six- or seven-win team because of all the one-score losses that they had last year. Now I'm not so sure. I don't know. Where would you rank that game now uh, for KU uh, among their most winnable games in the Big 12? And what for you would be at the top of that list? Yeah, I think the Iowa State game would be at the top of the list. It's unfortunate, you know, Kansas obviously beat West Virginia and Morgantown last year. It's unfortunate that with the schedule changes, West Virginia is not uh, not making the return trip this year because maybe, you know, West Virginia and Lawrence, you would have some competition for that spot. But I And I see your point with Iowa State in general. It's, it's tough to win in Ames, one. Two, I do think that Iowa State has, you know, some – some really good young talent as well as just, hey, the defense is good. But the other part of that, Derek, is, you know, as much as you want to say, hey, this this team is going to be worse because it loses these key guys or whatever else, you never really know how that works on a team's psyche. You know, in some cases, and maybe even most cases, it works out like you would expect, right? You lose your starting quarterback, you lose your starting tailback, you, you have the issues that they're having, and things just sort of go with a thud. But there are certain teams that have the culture to where they sort of rally the wagons, and they're they're able to come out of that, you know, almost even better than they were before, and they really surprise you. And so, I think that's my one hesitation with picking Iowa State. Yes, it's on the road, like you said, but the other thing is, is even with them missing those players. Uh, I think there's at least a chance that everybody, you know, in that locker room kind of rallies together and it winds up being the sort of thing that maybe doesn't impact them at least to the level that most of us would expect. I don't know if we've actually uh, gotten you on record for for this for this season, but uh, I guess we are officially 
in a week with college football because it's week zero this week. Uh, do you have an official Big 12 title game pick? Ooh, that's tough. I I, I do think Texas will be back. Um, I, I, I had to say the Texas back, of course. Uh, I was going to say, I'm glad you phrased but, it that way. Uh, yeah, I, I I do think Texas, you know, you look up and down that roster. I, I think Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach, especially offensively when you – when you see some of Texas's game plans, I think Quinn Ewers is going to take a jump being a second-year starting quarterback in that system. They've got so many weapons on offense. And, oh, by the way, they've got a really physical offensive line, which you couldn't always say about Texas over the last 10 or so years. And you look at the defense, which is supposed to be sort of the weak spot, and they bring back the you know the Big Twelve preseason defensive player of the year and Jalen Ford. I think the defensive linemen they do have. It, it sounds like they've had a really good camp, and so they're going to be tough up front as well. I, Texas to me is I don't want to say sort of your no doubt favorite because obviously you know Texas has been Texas at times over the last uh, decade or so, but I do think that Texas is. It is sort of the overwhelming favorite at this point to make it there. And as far as who they're going to play, that's really tough because I think there's a scenario where Kansas State is right around where it was a year ago. I know some K-State fans have been telling me they're going to be better than they were a year ago. Um, I don't necessarily buy that yet. They could get there, certainly, but... I think it would probably be K-State. I think Oklahoma, as much as they upgraded that roster and a lot of the things that they did, I think they're going to be significantly better, but maybe not quite in that range. And then with K-State being my pick, I will say a dark horse team that I think is going to be really, really interesting to watch is I think that Texas Tech team is a lot more talented and a lot better than maybe a lot of people are giving them credit for. And I think the gap between, say, number one to Texas Tech is probably smaller than it is from, say, Texas Tech to the number six team or seven team in the conference. Yep, so uh could be a fun, crazy year then. That'll uh, make week-to-week very fun. Uh, before we let you go, uh, as is tradition, do you have a local prospect of the week? Yeah, I, I wanted to go with a little bit of a sleeper this week, and so one of my favorite sleepers across the state, and I have to mention this here in the next week. I'll be uh, tweeting out my five favorite sleepers in the state, just okay. guys that I think should be uh, should be recruited at a higher level maybe than they are right now. Those guys have, have kind of turned out pretty well um, over the last few years in terms of getting more recruiting attention. So I hope that happens for, uh, for Noah Gunyan over at Shawnee Mission West. He's a running back slash athlete. You know, he played in, I think, four games last year before suffering a season-ending injury. He's a guy that uh, he's about 5'11". Uh, like I said, he's a running back. He ran 4.38 at a camp Whew. this spring, ran 4.40 at a different camp this summer, and he actually worked out for a friend of the show and, and a friend of all of ours, I think, and Brandon McAnderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Jake Sharp camp, and, and McAnderson Anderson came out of that thing, and I asked him a little bit, said, hey, you know, I, I really like this kid. What do you think? And he said, yeah, you know, he should he should be getting a lot more interest than he is. And, and I don't know at this point, hey, does that mean that 
does that mean that he needs to get more Mac offers or, or whatever else, or, or does that mean that he puts together the kind of year where where maybe he's a, a Big 12 guy? I, I'm not entirely sure, but I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, that Brandon thought that, hey, this is this is a kid that potentially, even if running back doesn't work out, you know, maybe he could plug into your defensive backfield and and be a guy there. So keep, a, keep an eye on Noah. I, I think he's somebody that, you know, with a big senior season could uh, could pop up on a lot more radars than he's on right now. All right. You can check out all of Kevin's work, 24-7 sports, cbssports.com, and be on the lookout at KFlarity 24-7 on Twitter for those uh, most underrated prospects. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Kevin Flaherty joining us here. Two hours down, one to go. KU football superlatives and some KU football player audio next. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is KLWN. We got some more KU football audio that we're going to get to you coming in your next segment here of the show. Uh, Later this week, we're going to do our college football betting preview. Also, tomorrow, Lance Leipold. Oh, uh, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, About how we did last season. Yeah, we we can tally it up. We will do that on Thursday and we'll let you know how we did last season. Because I think I did bad. But I'm not sure. Well, if you picked Georgia to win it all, then... I don't remember what I did. probably did okay. I know we both were in the positive for uh, the NFL. Okay, there we go. So that's a good thing. There we go. College football, I'm not sure. I will be loading a little bit of money into my account probably this week and uh, getting back into it and hopefully not losing, but probably <laughs> losing because I lose a lot. Okay. All right, well, uh, be on the lookout for that later. And then, yeah, like I was saying, tomorrow uh, is actually going to be Lance Leipold is going to be speaking with the media. So we'll be sharing that audio, as we always do, here on the show on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Okay, we have our KU football superlative segment for the day where we have a bunch of uh, folded up pieces of paper. Dude, you got to shake it in front of the mic. That's right. So that people can hear it. I still don't think people can hear it on there. Um, they can hear it if I do the sound effect. <laughs> Wait, do that sound effect again. That sounds like something completely different. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just. Uh, so I have these pieces of paper. I'm drawing one out of the bowl, and we're going to discuss best defensive back mm. or best DB if they have initials DB. D- I guess we could go with that. D- Does anybody have the initials DB on the team? Uh, Daniel Byshaw. Uh, I don't think so. Donovan Baines. No. <laughs> just adding a B to the Dominic last Booney. <laughs> Dominic Booney. <laughs> Um, uh, who else? What's some other good ones? Dylan. Oh, Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks. Boom, DB. boom, boom. He is the best DB. He's the best DB on the team. <laughs> All right, we're DB. done. On to the next one. He might be the only one. Okay, uh, but for real, best best defensive back on the team. Okay, so your candidates for best defensive back are Kobe Bryant, Kenny Logan, OJ Burroughs, Melo Dotson, Kalen Gervin. You could throw Marvin Grant in there. I don't know. Do you, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he's more of a box type safety. He qualifies, though. I guess he qualifies. I. Okay. Uh, so you got those guys. You got Demarius McGee as sort of your options. I think it's pretty clearly from an award perspective. There's probably three guys. It's probably. Well, I mean, from who's been nationally guys. recognized, it's this is an easy open and shut case. It's Kobe Bryant, right? I think so. From an, I mean, from that perspective. Could you argue though? I mean, if I guess if you do off career awards, both Kenny Logan and Kobe Bryant have won first team all Big Twelve selection. You don't think anybody could possibly break out and have a 
They could. A great year? They could, but right now, like, do you actually view Kobe Bryant to you is the number one corner on the team, right? Yes. Okay, so you're not going to put any of the corners. So then it's just a conversation over different positions. That's with what the I said, yeah, safety. three guys. I think it's Kobe is Bryant, chance, Kenny Logan, though, and possibly O.J. Burroughs. Yes. Is there a chance that Kobe Bryant does what Kenny Logan did? And sort of first team All Big Twelve next a, year. You're more All Big Twelve honorable mention. Meh season. Good season, but not as as good as the year before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we both agree that Kenny Logan last season was not as good as maybe he was. And still good. He was not, Big Twelve honorable. He was not mention. bad. Yeah, I want to be very very clear about mm-hmm. this. He was not bad. He did not have a bad season, but he was preseason first team All All Big Twelve and a guy that was coming off of a really good season and was expected to probably take that next step to being more of a really star level player. And while he was he was fine, he was serviceable, he did he did, you know, he did a good job. He was not that level that I think maybe we thought he was going to be in the preseason. So to your point, Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. What if that happens? And furthermore, I'm curious with the Kobe Bryant thing. Let's say Kobe Bryant does have like, you know, 3, 4, 5 interceptions whatever. Like has a really really good year, but maybe he gets burned a lot. Are you still going to say at the end of the day he's your best corner if he's a guy that is a type of player where he's very aggressive, which that's that's how he plays, and you know he wants to make a play, and maybe he does get some critical interceptions for you over the course of the season, but maybe he also gets beat trying to be too aggressive, and teams are able to take advantage of that a little bit. Are you still going to are you still going to say that he's the number one corner, number one defensive back? Um, probably. Probably, but yeah, I mean, it goes back to what what are those other guys doing? I I do think OJ Burroughs has the biggest launching pad, trampoline opportunity to jump into this conversation, but I do think where we're sitting right now, it has to be between Kobe and Kenny. You could argue that Kenny does have more responsibility as a safety. I will throw another name in here, though, just to make this more interesting. Okay. Craig Young. No. Technically, you could count him as a DB. I'm not counting him. Well, if you wanted to, you could. I'm not going to. He plays like it. I don't in want a lot to. of ways. No. Well, I do. I'm not. So I'm going to have the conversation with myself then. Um, <laughs> Craig Young, bro. What? Linebacker, Hawk linebacker. Hawk is a linebacker safety hybrid, sir. It's listed on with the other linebackers. <laughs> okay, but it could also be listed. You know who his backup is? Jason Gilliam, who's a safety. No, he's the Hawk now. I know, but he was a safety. Tells you it's it's a hybrid. I fine, it's, sure. It's, I don't want to include. You it can that. count it either way. You know, um, that seems like cheating. I think I it's think. like no, no. The hawk position is like it a switch be, hitter in baseball. Of counting it either way, it should be it's its own thing. No, he's he's like a switch hitter in baseball. You can count him as a lefty or a righty. I don't you think count him analogy, as a linebacker I don't or think a that analogy works. I disagree. Rich Miller is a linebacker. Kenny Logan Correct. is a safety. Yes. Greg Young is both. He's but either. He's but he's he's. Simultaneously, neither though. But he's simultaneously he's, each one on a different a, play. He's not a safety, but he's also not a linebacker. Yeah, correct. So he's not either one of those things. Yeah, so we're just. I'm just. So uh, I can put him in here if I want. <laughs> he can play safety if he wants. Uh, I do think you could make an argument if we threw Craig Young in, even though he wasn't like awarded to the same level of Kenny or a uh, Kenny Logan two years ago or Kobe Bryant last year. He has more to do against the run game which is the one thing that I'm really kind of keen on. Do you think that his position being the Hawk that we just had a really stupid argument about, about whether or not it's a safety linebacker, do you think that negatively impacts his ability to be voted onto <laughs> like all conference yeah, That's possible. It's like, where do we put this guy? Do we put him yeah, in safety of linebacker? Exactly. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. Um, 
But you see, when when I see Craig Young, I, I view a guy that unlocks them being able to play that way defensively, where you do basically have another linebacker who is like another DB. Okay. And that is something that you don't get with the other guy. So I, I could hear the argument for it, is what I'm saying. But I, I, I think bottom line, it is it has to be Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant, Kenny Logan, OJ Burroughs, possibly. Okay. Top three. All right. Why don't but you Kobe Bryant, one? number one. All right, my turn. Yep. Let's see what we got here. All right. He, let's see. Player that has to be good other than Jalen Daniels. Player that has to be. Because, yeah, Jalen Daniels, has obviously your quarterback has to be good, right? Um, yeah, has to be good. Who has to be good? I kind of want to say Dominic Pooney. That's one that first came to mind that at was, left tackle. Admittedly, that was who came to my mind first also was Dominic Pooney. Yeah. I mean, just in general, left tackle is such an important position, and it would help yeah. your quarterback stay upright yeah. and avoid being injured. You could look at the defense, too. I, I, I probably will end up settling on somebody defensively just because I mean, that's where we have more Craig questions. Young is a good candidate. Right. Well, it's like if any of the receivers aren't good, it's like, oh, they have a bunch of others. If any of the tight ends aren't good, ends, they have a bunch yeah. of others, right? Like, if, like, Devin Neal, you want him to be good, but yes. does he have to be good? You have Daniel Heisman, uh, yeah, right. like Dylan McDuffie, like, you know. And again, you can't take Jalen. step back. Then, you know. Before we get to the defense, would you put any credence in kicker, punter, kick returner, punt returner? Like Seth Somebody. Keller has to be good? Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't have to be good for them to, you know. <laughs> like, well, it'd be if, nice. If Seth Keller has to be good, then I think you have bigger problems. Yes. Right? You agree with that? Yeah. Like, if 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 Damon Greaves has to be good. Right. You like, you problems. need him to be good. You need an improvement from where you were the season before. But, but has to be good? Exactly. Because then that implies that you're having to punt and kick I think a on, lot. You yeah, want to be I scoring think, touchdowns. Yeah, I think on the offense, it, I think you look at Pooney. Uh, maybe you, I don't know. Like Mike Davisky is already pretty good. There's not really any other like picks on the offensive line that jump out. Again, like if if Lawrence Arnold's not good, then you have Luke Grimm and Quentin Skinner. If Quentin Skinner's not good, you have Luke Grimm, Lawrence Arnold. You have Trevor Wilson. If Devin Neal's not that good, you have Devin Daniel Hyshaw and Dylan McDuffie. So and then you got a smorgasbord of tight ends. Take your pick there. So I think on the offense, Pooney, I guess, makes the most sense here for has to be good. Yes. On the defense, I think there's a lot more candidates. Craig Young, to me, is probably number one on that list. Goes back Kenny in line, Logan. but that allows him to play that way. Yeah, you could throw Kenny Logan in there. Okay, do you lend any credence to the idea that maybe it's Devin Phillips? Because he's been getting hyped up a lot to where now all of a sudden, okay, Rewind two months ago. The big concern was the D-line on the defense. Now, with how much discussion, with how much hype has gone into Devin Phillips, Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers, those guys, you know, Gage Keys has a lot of length. Do you put any credence into the idea of because of all the hype around those guys, they have to be good? So Devin Phillips, is he a guy that you look at and say, he's been getting hyped up a lot, it seems like he's going to be good, is it now to a point where he maybe has to be good just because of the fact that people think he's going to be good, and so now you need that in the middle of the defense? You could make an argument for me that anybody in the front seven. You could pick any one player. Um, but I yeah. I think yeah. the defensive I mean, line Robinson. is a good spot. See, I would. that's the thing. I would shift more toward Jeremy Robinson. 
How excited are you to just extremely overreact after the Missouri State game? Of the, I mean, are we going to do the same crap we did last year where we're going to say rubber stamp, it's fixed, it's not fixed, and go back and forth the whole season? No, we have to give it more time now. <laughs> uh, well, actually, then again, knowing week know, two. It was really fun last year. Week two with Illinois being Brett Bielema, like Kevin was saying, they're going to want to yeah. run it down your throat 45 yeah. times a game. If I mean, if they give up only 120 rushing yards, fixed. It was really right. fun to say they're fixed, and then they were bad. Oh, they're not fixed, and then they were good again. Oh, they're fixed. That, that, honestly, I didn't. I enjoyed that. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would look at Devin Phillips maybe. I think, I think it's got to be Craig Young though, right? I mean, he has to be good. If Craig Young is bad, kind of that's like the centerpiece of your whole defensive strategy. I feel like it sounds like. Yeah, I I kind of think it is Jeremy Robinson. You think so? I just I think the drop off of what Jeremy Robinson could be this year to the other defensive ends is a little bit more. Like Devin Phillips, I, I part of it too is is with Jeremy are you, Robinson. Are you thinking that if Craig Young is not good, maybe like JB Brown can fill it up, or you know Rich Miller ends up being maybe? More of a guy. I'm also viewing this from a standpoint of like this is just guaranteed. Like this is you saying. You know, you need this guy to be good, but if you don't, if you're not good, you could still be average. Like I think Craig Young, there's a high floor there that if he's not, if he's not to this level we're talking about, which could be, I don't, I don't know how you define it, like all Big Twelve ish, right, right on the borderline at the very least. I define it as if this player is not good, then the ceiling then of your offense defense is significantly lowered, and it's going to be not good. Yeah, I, I guess they can get by in my mind without a pass rush if the run defense is good. So maybe then I wouldn't take Jeremy Robinson if that's the way that's we're looking at it. More Devin Phillips or Craig. Yeah, I kind of want to take Melo Dotson though. I mean, think about it. If if Kobe Bryant is as good as you think, if if these safeties are as good as you think, I mean, if if Melo Dotson's good, it's hard for the the DBs to be bad. I don't know. <laughs> I don't okay, think that there fair. is an obvious answer on the defense. There's almost I think, too many answers. I think it which might me, not be a good thing. No, I agree with I agree with the sentiment that you're going with there. I would probably pick Craig Young though. I would pick Craig Young on the offense. I'm picking Dominic Pony just because you have enough guys on the offense, reliable depth on the offense that feasibly, if you have one of the guys that struggles, it's like fine. Whereas, I think you need Craig Young to be good. Yeah, now I'm starting to, in my mind, circle back to what you were saying about uh, Devin Phillips. But I'm also like thinking, I'm like, well, but I, I kind of like Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers. Like, I guess you have other guys there, Gage Keys. Um, but but again, like that that was a position of concern. Of it was. concern. Now it's not, and so because of that, you need that to pan out to where those guys are good, or one of them is good, Devin Phillips, or you know somebody else. All right, here's what I'm settling on: Rich Miller. Rich Miller's going to get – we didn't even mention the whole <laughs> okay. time. Rich Miller's going to be a starting linebacker for you. He's going to play true. a ton of snaps. That's true. We need, You're a veteran leader. We've talked a lot about you need the linebackers to get better. True. If Rich Miller, who's going to be playing probably more snaps than any other linebacker, save Craig Young, again, whatever position you want to call him. Yeah. If he's not good, it's going to be hard for the defense to be better. Okay. Okay, I can get on board with that. I mean, he's in the middle of he's, everything. Yeah, he's he's your play caller. He's your veteran he's your go-to guy. Go-to tackler. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. I'm sick with Craig Young. That's, I think that's a good answer, too. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. More KU football audio next 
on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.